Well, hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is May the 14th, and we are continuing our study through the book of Galatians together. Last time we were together, we finished up Galatians chapter number two, so today we're going to move into Galatians chapter number three. Um, I have been really taking my time uh, with this. Um, Number one, I'm busy. Uh, (laughs) uh, I work as a uh, full-time recruiter, uh, so I spend my day doing that, and then my wife and I also own a shop, two shops in downtown Lunchburg, Virginia, so... We have a lot going on, a lot on our plate, but I do, uh, some weeks more than others, I have an opportunity to study, and uh, as I, you know, get enough material, I come on and I record it, so um, so it's taken me a little longer to get this session together, so, but today we're going to break into chapter number three of the book of Galatians, and uh, we're just going to look at a few verses here, and uh, let's see, let's go ahead and open our Bibles here, Galatians chapter three, verse number one. Uh, In this chapter, we see Paul doubling down against this works gospel that was being pushed. Uh, And the works gospel was basically a mixture of works with grace. Um, I believe that this was the result of the kingdom gospel and the grace gospels being mixed. Um, Because the kingdom gospel very much was still under the law, still required work, still required circumcision. The grace gospel, neither. It was not under the law. It did not require works. It was simply by faith and faith alone. So Paul here is going to make a further argument against this mixture of these two gospels, which he has already concluded is no gospel at all. It's not good news at all. If you mix these two, if you mix, excuse me, if you mix these two, you you null and void grace. So notice he says in verse number one, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ evidently uh, has been evidently set forth crucified among you. Notice that he's accusing them of being foolish, and he's accusing them of being bewitched. Uh, Interestingly, some of the other translations, um, and I find this interesting, they omit the part that ye should not obey the truth and among you. So the among you, I guess that can be important, but why would they that ye should not obey the truth? In other words, they just... Here, I'll I'll show you. New American Standard. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? So again, that part is gone. NIV, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Why is that part out? I I just don't understand that. And again, I I realize it comes down to texts. You can't make an argument for translations without dealing with the issue of the underlying text. And the bottom line is I believe that the received text, the textus receptus, is the superior uh, text, in my opinion, and unfortunately, only the King James Version comes off of that text. Uh, all the other translations do not. They may reference it, but it's not the not the underlying text by which the translation is made. And I guess the other texts exclude that part that you should not obey the truth. Um, 
The reason I don't understand that is because that is the entire point that he's making, <laughs> that they are not obeying the truth of his gospel. In other words, you're not obeying the truth of the mystery that was revealed to me, that simple faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. So again, I I don't understand why they pull that out, but I assume it's because of the underlying text and not theological bias. Um, and then notice the phrase, evidently set forth, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth. That implies that he's referencing written resources. He's It's been set forth. It's been um, shown to them as proof. Um, and again, the other translations uh, use portrayed as crucified. Um, and, I, and I guess portrayed, set forth, uh, can be the same. Uh, but it's obvious that he's 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 referring to resources that prove that Christ has indeed been crucified, and and I'm sure there there were some there maybe that witnessed it. Um, probably not so much in Jerusalem eyewitnesses, but maybe alive at the time. Um, you know, heard about it. Uh, they had read about it. Um, so that's what he's referring to. But in spite of that, he says, you're bewitched uh, into thinking that the grace, that the gospel of grace was not enough to save you. Um, you need works as well to accompany your faith for salvation. So he says, you're foolish. Who's bewitched you into thinking this, that you need works added to your faith to be saved? Now, notice in verse 2, this only what I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. So, it's a pretty simple question. Um, did you receive the Holy Spirit because of something that you did, or did you receive the Holy Spirit simply by faith? And, of course, the question is rhetorical. Paul is the master of rhetorical questions. Um, of course, they received it simply by faith. They didn't have to do anything to get it. Um, so this only what I learned of you. Did you receive the, the work? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? No. Or did you receive it by faith? The answer is yes. We received it by faith. And remember, he is addressing Jewish grace believers, and this is where so many in the church today go off track. Like he's referring to Gentiles here. He's not addressing Gentiles in this section. He is addressing. Jewish grace believers, not Jewish kingdom believers, or else the whole argument will fall apart. Jewish kingdom believers had to obey the law. Jewish kingdoms, Jewish believers were required to be circumcised. So he can't be addressing Jewish kingdom believers. He's addressing Jewish grace believers who received, uh, like he said there, who received the Spirit not because of being repent repentful and getting baptized and getting circumcised and keeping the law, but who receive the Holy Spirit simply by the hearing of faith. Um, and then notice verses 3 and 4. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? 
So his question is, are you so foolish as to believe that what you received by faith must be now kept by works? I mean, you didn't get it by works. He just asked that rhetorical question before. You got it by faith. Now, do you think that the only way you're going to be made perfect now is by, um, by your works? I mean, if you began in faith, you're going to finish in faith. So that's the question. Are you so foolish as to believe that what you received by faith is now going to be kept or maintained by your works? And notice the word there, perfect. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, ye, ye, ye now made complete by the flesh, um, that's basically what he's saying. Are you? Do you think what you received is going to make you complete? Uh, going to make you complete? It was actually an insult to think that the Holy Spirit could not finish what He started, or that the Holy Spirit needs their help to finish it. They had apparently already suffered for their faith. I'm sure the Jewish you know, maybe at the hands of the Jewish kingdom believers, maybe at the the hands of the the Jewish unbelievers. But either way, they had already suffered for believing this grace gospel that Paul was preaching, and I'm sure they were accused of forsaking Abraham and forsaking the law of Moses and and not being involved in the temple and getting their children circumcised. Notice what he says. He says, "Have ye suffered so many things in vain?" Was it for nothing that you're going to cave in, that you're going to compromise, that you're going to go back and you're going to give in to all of this, if it yet be in vain? He's saying to walk away from it now would make your suffering vain. And then notice what he says in verse number five. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith. So there's two ways that this verse can be viewed. And again, I spend all my time, my spare time, um, just trying to break this down, look at other commentators. Some commentators will immediately jump to one of two conclusions, and the honest ones will say, eh, it could be either or. Um, Paul is either referring to himself and his first visit with them, or he's referring to God. Notice, he, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit. Who is the he? Is he referring to himself, speaking in the third person, or is he referring to God, i.e. the Holy Spirit? If he's referring to himself, he's saying that he ministered the Spirit and he worked miracles. So if he's referring to himself here, that you know he ministered the Spirit to them and he worked miracles uh, among them, then he's referring pre-Acts, he's, or, or pre-Acts 28. He's referring to when the Holy Spirit was still very much functioning, the signs, the wonders, the miracles. I've come to believe that, you know, with that with the with the official final rejection of the kingdom offer, all those things went away. Um, 
they do not apply to the church today. Uh, all this stuff about let's getting back to Pentecost, Pentecost wasn't for the body of Christ. There was no body of Christ at Pentecost. There was no birth of the church as we know it at Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost was simply a fulfillment of Joel 2.28. It was the official offering of the kingdom to the nation of Israel, and they had to repent. They had to get baptized. It was still very much under the law. They still had to go to the temple. They still had to circumcise their children, to, so to say that the body of Christ was born in Acts chapter number 2, I've come to believe, is simply wrong. Uh, so if he's referring to himself here, he's referring to his ministry among them pre-Acts 28 when he was still indeed uh, performing miracles. Um, so, um, or like I said, he's referring to God ministering to them the Spirit and working miracles among them. Um, of course, either way, the answer to the question is, he therefore that ministers to you the Spirit worketh mirrors among you, does he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The answer is <laughs> by faith. Uh, that's the whole argument that Paul's making here. He did it by faith. The bottom line is that Paul never told anyone to do anything other than believe to receive the Holy Spirit, unlike Peter. Peter never told people just to believe and receive the Spirit. Peter from Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and then you'll receive the Spirit. Paul didn't preach that. That was kingdom gospel, not grace gospel. And notice in verse number 6, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is where the wheels fall off with most theologians, with most uh, Bible teachers, um, they completely misinterpret this verse. Um, and I say that with all humility. I do not claim to have all the answers. I am, I am growing faith to faith. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to new revelations, if you will, every day. I, I don't claim to have all the answers. You know, it's like I've told you before, I've been asked, you know, I've told people, if you asked me that question five years ago, I would have had an answer for you today. I don't. Now, since I've had this shift um, in the book of Acts and my view of the book of Acts, literally every teaching I've done prior to is suspect in many ways because I was always taught the church was born in Acts chapter number two. And, um, you know, there's two types of believers in the, in the church today, those who are Pentecostal who believe the gifts continued and those who aren't that believe the gifts ceased. Well, you know, the mid-Acts position, if the church wasn't born in Acts chapter number two, the answer to that question is obviously it ended with the offering of the kingdom. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, all that supernatural stuff. So, again, and, and that's been in the past two years. So, it's made me, as I go back through, now I'm going through Galatians, I've already went through Acts. It You know, I understand now that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first, you know, uh, half of Acts has nothing to do with the body of Christ. Uh, only the latter part and Paul's, and, and Paul's revelation of the mystery 
uh, has to do with the body, the Pauline epistles, everything that Paul wrote, Romans through Philemon, has to do with the body of Christ. And even then, you have to make sure you rightly divide there, like in Galatians. He's not talking to Gentiles. He's talking to Jewish believers here, grace believers. You still have to rightly divide the word of truth, truth from truth. So, you know, the only thing that really directly applies to the body of Christ today is the latter part of Acts and the Pauline epistles. You know, everything that was written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first part of Acts, and from Hebrews to Revelation, is for the Jew under the kingdom gospel, under a works gospel. James makes total sense now, because now I don't have to twist it to make it say something it's not saying. James wasn't talking to me. James wasn't talking to the body of Christ. James wasn't talking to grace believers. Was James fully aware that there were grace believers out there? Sure, Peter was fully aware. That's what the Council of Jerusalem was about in Acts chapter number 15. But that didn't change Peter and James' messages. They agreed that Paul would go to the uncircumcised and they would continue going to the circumcised. It completely changes your, <laughs> your, your perspective. I mean, it's, it's just completely new paradigm. So when you're reading it, it, it begins to make much more sense. So that's what I'm doing on my own is I'm having to go through this. And if you want to move along with me, that's great. And you don't have to believe everything I believe. I disagree with people on several things, you know, even other right dividers, even other folks that are mid-acts like me. I don't necessarily agree, but I'm not going to be arrogant in that disbelief because two years ago, <laughs> I was on a completely different planet you know, in that regard. So we're all growing, you know. So as you listen to this and you go, well, I'm having a hard time with that one. You know, it's like a brother of mine put up a thing the other day on Facebook. He said, um, where in the Bible does it say we are the bride of Christ? And man, everybody starts referring to Paul's comparison of the church and the bride and all that stuff. Well, that's great, but just do a, and a uh, Control-F search <laughs> through your Bible the words Bride of Christ are not found in the Bible, at least not in the King James Bible. It's not there. Bride of Christ, it's not there. Why are we referring to ourselves as the Bride of Christ? Covenant theology, um, we've replaced Israel, spiritually or physically. That's where it comes from. Uh, but when you start rightly dividing, you realize there's no way we can be the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the nation of Israel, period, full stop. Not us, not me. We are the body. Um, the bride is the nation of Israel. We are the body of Christ. He's our head, not our king. He's their king. He came to offer them a kingdom. We are the body of Christ. He is our head. So it, it just changes your total perspective. I got off on that, but uh, so next time we get together, verse number six, this verse is often misinterpreted to be saying that Abraham was saved by faith, while it is actually referring to the Abrahamic covenant, which was received by faith. So we'll talk about that next time. God bless you guys. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.